2: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh,
1: and first pitch watching! Deep left field! This is where walk-off. got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
0: Will the two Jackson prospects, Holiday and Chorio, be up on opening day? We shall discuss, welcome into to Fantasy Baseball Today, Frank Scott and Chris all here on Monday, January 15th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Today on the show, Scott's top 100 prospects are out on the site. They are live. We're taking a look at the names who will be fighting for a job this spring. Will they be up on opening day? I've got 10 names picked out that we will Just talk 10? about. Just ten, yeah. I thought 10. We we're gonna
1: go through all one hundred, Frank. <laughs> I, I was, I was loaded up here, Scott, man. Scott's I was been dunking back slurp, Peeps Pepsi, slurping in it In preparation, down. like people kept offering to send me this Peeps Pepsi or Peepsy. It's got like yeah. to be Peepsy, yeah. Call it. Uh, they, they kept, they kept urging me to try it because of my reputation with Peeps, that isn't entirely earned. Uh, so I tried it finally, and you know what? I, I mean, it's. It. It's just sugar. It doesn't – it doesn't <laughs> – ta- like part of my defense of Peeps is their sugar-covered marshmallows and what could possibly be wrong with that. But they do have like their own unique taste. I-, I know what a Peep tastes like. And when I drink this Peeps Pepsi, it doesn't remind me of a Peep. It remi- it's like marshmallow-flavored soda basically. Like if you told me it was toasted marshmallow Pepsi, I'd, I'd totally buy that. But but what could be wrong with that? It's it's good. I would drink it again. I can't, 10 out of 10 would drink again.
0: I can't imagine soda being any sweeter, but when you said marshmallow flavored <laughs> Pepsi, my gosh. Well,
1: that's what Pete you're not the first person who told me that. It's the same sugar content. All right. Like soda is just super sweet on its own. True. If it's flavored like something that doesn't really change it.
0: That's true. Today on the so show, that's my
1: take on Pete's Pepsi or Pepsi? Go.
0: Peepsy, It's a great name. Great name. Uh, Mention what we're going to be talking about today. We've got the top prospects, those fighting for a job this spring. Plus, kind of odd, maybe. We'll get your thoughts. Jordan Hicks signed a four-year deal with the Giants to be a starter? Question mark. So we will talk about that as well. Uh, let's get into the prospects. As I mentioned, Scott's top 100 prospects are live on the site. You can check it out. You can follow along. Again, we'll be talking about the ones that they are fighting uh, for a chance to be on the opening day roster.
1: On the top 100 prospects article there is a uh, it it's 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 a, my my fantasy impact rating for for 2024. And there is a firmer one than fighting this spring, it is pencil him in. But those are generally guys who we talk a lot about in other contexts and are already pre- pretty familiar to fantasy baseballers. So these are more The prospects who will likely have an impact in 2024, but won't for sure be on the opening day roster. They're fighting this spring for that chance.
0: Yes, and most of them have not debuted yet. There's a few on the list. Junior Caminero obviously was up for like seven games. Jordan Lawler, not so much. Uh, Hessen Kirstad. But for the most part, I think the majority of these names have not debuted yet. Let's start with your number one overall prospect, Scott, that is Jackson Holiday, the shortstop with the Baltimore Orioles, the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft, son of former major leaguer Matt Holiday. And all Jackson Holiday did last year was mash across four different levels. He hit 323, 12 homers, 24 steals, a 941 OPS, 101 walks to 118 strikeouts. That plate discipline is something that should be. Definitely play up in a points league Uh, during the winter meetings. Orioles GM Mike Elias said that it's, quote, definitely a very strong possibility. Holiday could make the club's opening day roster. Uh, Scott, talk to me about your expectations for Jackson Holiday.
1: My expectation is he will make the opening day roster. They've pretty much left the spot open for him unless they're going to go with a lot of Ramon Arias again. Or Jorge Mateo, neither of whom deserves to be starting for a first division. Neither of whom is a deserves to be starting for a, a contender like the Orioles. Well, I'll, I'll get into this other thing in a second. But for Jackson Holiday specifically, what stands out most is the plate discipline. The fact he walked 101 times in his first like extended look in the minors. As somebody who was drafted in, out, of, out of high school, <laughs> the power is... Not all the way there yet. He's, he, you know, he's he's only going to be twenty this year, but it's something that could come along very quickly. And I expect that in, in the majors as a rookie, he'll he'll exceed the twelve home runs he hit in the minors last year by a healthy margin. Uh, he can also run. He he really does everything well. He's just an all around great player and somebody who obviously grew up. Around the game as the son of Matt Holiday, seven-time All Star, and and not just okay, he was the son of Matt Holiday, but Matt Holiday now is kind of a hitting guru. Like people go to him from around the game and and work out and improve their swings. Like he's beyond just being the father. Like Jackson Holiday, it's it's beyond just the fact that his father is a great hitter. He's he actually can teach hitting too. So. You see it in how polished he is at such a young age, and yeah, like I said, I expect him to be the Orioles opening day shortstop since all the incentives uh, with the the CBA that took effect a couple years ago seem to favor high end prospects being on the opening day roster
0: and when we I had the Welsh on recently, I know he has some contacts within the Rangers organization. We will talk about Wyatt Langford in just a little bit. He asked his contact, how much do teams actually care about the?" draft pick compensation and he said and his contact said they care about it but even more so is they get additional pool money to spend i believe during the draft so that Hmm. is uh, like another added incentive and i I think almost the the most important part of what these teams can earn uh by having a prospect on their opening day roster and then that prospect going on to finish whatever it is like top three in rookie of the year voting or top five in mvp (laughs) Whatever it might,
1: and and it lasts a few years. It's not just they have to finish high in awards voting. Their rookie season, Mm -hmm. it's it's a really complicated breakdown of how it works. So, you know, I I won't bore you with the details. But it, if they place high enough in awards voting for certain awards over the first several years of their career, they get a draft pick in relation to that. It's it's not always a draft pick at the end of the first round. It it just depends. It just depends on what exactly the player goes on to win. But the point is. It's only an option if they're on the major league roster for their entire rookie season. And that's why the first, I imagine the first four names we're going to talk about, the top four in my top 100, I expect them all to be on the major league roster.
2: And one of them is just guaranteed, I think. One of them signed a long-term extension that will, it would be wild if they didn't. Jackson Churio, he's the only one who has a long-term deal to where the service time stuff doesn't really matter for him, right?
0: Yeah, and we'll talk about Jackson Trio in just a second. Again, Chris, everything is lining up here for Jackson mm-hmm. Holiday between just the players the Orioles have available, the quotes that we've heard, the ADP over the past month over at the NFBC. Again, th- these are the only the only data sources we have right now in terms of drafts, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But two ten point seven is the ADP for Holiday as the twenty first shortstop off the board worth noting a lot of the drafts being done right now are deeper leagues where I think people value playing time and higher floors. And maybe Jackson holiday doesn't necessarily fit into, you know, both of those. Um, but what do you think the highest is that he can get in terms of ADP, right? If we get any kind of confirmation throughout spring training, where do you see Jackson holiday potentially like settling in in ADP?
2: I would think one ish, maybe higher. I mean, that's, that's, Probably where we saw like like Anthony Volpe is 133 right now. He's right at like Tyra Estrada, Tommy Edmund, Trevor Story are right behind him. I I think in that Dansby Swanson, Anthony Volpe range. So right around the 11th round would probably be. I, I feel like Jackson Churio is probably going to be a little more enticing for people in fantasy drafts. I think he's likelier to be drafted higher if we, you know, all else being equal. But. I, I think that's probably the range. Probably not top 100, um, but very, very high. You know what I see
1: with... Can Can we just name the top four? Because we keep making references. Sure. And we'll talk about them individually. So the top four, who I think will all be on the opening day roster, or at least their teams want them to be on the opening day roster, I suppose they could just look overmatched in spring training and it won't happen. But uh, I, I think the ideas for all of Jackson Holiday, Jackson Chorio, Brewers outfielder, Wyatt Langford Rangers outfielder and junior Commonero Rays raised third baseman to make the opening day roster for the reasons we already broke down. They are all according to their early ADP on NFBC going way too low considering. And, you know, it, it could be just given that those are deeper leagues and the consequences for missing are higher. It could just be that they're playing it safe for now in these early drafts. And yeah. when, these guys start to gain momentum in spring training. They'll surge up draft boards, like we saw with Anthony Volpe and Jordan Walker over the course of last spring. Not that it worked out so great for either of them, but of course it worked out great for the people who drafted Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson last year. It worked out great for the people who drafted Julio Rodriguez and, and Bobby Witt the year before. Like High-end prospects are still worth gambling on, but the, the place these four are going right now, it, it, it doesn't even feel like, any sort of gamble. It just feels like a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, I think it's exactly the reason you mentioned, Scott. I think people are kind of playing it safe right now. Again, deeper leagues, uh, I mentioned it. I think players are kind of valuing, fantasy players are valuing plate appearances and I guess more so assurances, things that players we know that are going to play for sure at this point in the offseason. But you're right. Like once we get to spring training, Jackson Holiday pops a few homers, boom, that's gone. He's you know inside the top 150. Let's talk. My about-
1: sleepers 1.0 will be out Tuesday. All four of them are on it. They're they're <laughs> all lumped together in one category because it seemed kind of cheap to just spend four spots on those four guys. I but can see it.
0: I can see it already. Scott last year drafted a bunch of young prospects, and I I can just see Scott. You're going to be drafting a bunch of dynasty redraft teams again this year. Well. I, like I said, I
1: think the by the time we get to drafting real teams that we're actually going to play with, the price for these four will be a lot higher. And I, to the point, I probably won't be able to get away with calling of sleepers anymore. Right. But certainly here in January, with the information we have available, yeah, give me all the Jackson Holiday, Jackson Chorio, Wyatt Langford and Junior Commonero, you can throw at me.
0: All right, let's talk about Jackson Churio, outfielder with the Brewers, Scott's number two overall prospect, signed the largest extension for a player yet to debut earlier this offseason, eight years, $82 million with incentives that could max out at $140 million over 10 years for Jackson Churio this past season. As a 19-year-old, he hit two eighty-two with 22 home runs, 44 steals, from one year to the next, lowered his strikeout rate dramatically. Chris, you already kind of alluded to this, uh, but Brewers GM Matt Arnold said after the extension that Trio will have a chance to make the team's opening day roster. And given that extension, I think it's a little bit more likely than these other names we're going to talk about. But what are your expectations for Jackson Trio here in 2024?
2: Sky high upside, but I think this is a much more high variance profile than Jackson holidays where... You've got, I think, higher upside because you've got, I think, more of an in more in-game power and speed right now. 44, 43 steals last season. Twenty twenty two home runs Sorry, forty four steals. The plate discipline doesn't seem quite as as well developed. That's not to say Jackson Cheerio strikes out a ton because he doesn't. His strikeout rate was eighteen point four percent in double A. He only played six games at triple A, but. You know, he he makes a lot of contact. It's just he doesn't walk a lot. And so that's the kind of profile where you worry, is he too overly aggressive? What happens when he sees major league sliders for the first time? He's basically never played above AAA. He has six games at AAA. He's played in the Venezuelan uh, Winter League this year and actually has been quite good from what I've seen, which is another positive sign. Yeah, eight strikeouts in 75 plate appearances, 984 OPS. I think there's more risk with Jackson Churio. He also just wasn't as good uh as Jackson Holiday overall. 803 OPS last season at Double A, Jackson Holiday was, you know, nine eighty something OPS overall. So I think, you know, while Jackson Churio's profile is probably a little more fantasy friendly, I think Jackson Holiday's the better bet to, to be productive right away. Yeah, I would say Jackson
1: Chorio of those four we're talking about, including Jackson holiday, who I rank ahead. Jackson Chorio has the best chance of becoming a perennial first rounder type in fantasy because he has that profile that could turn him into a 30 Homer. I mean, yeah, a 30 Homer 50 steel guy, Mm -hmm. Julio Rodriguez type profile here. And Okay, I mean, I don't think part of the reason I rank Jackson Holiday ahead is because I don't think prospects get much safer than him with Mm -hmm. that well-developed plate discipline at such a young age. It's hard to say exactly what Jackson Holiday's upside is because we are still waiting on the power development. But like, I don't know, Jackson Holiday could be Corey Seager like, but with speed. Uh, that, that's kind of him maxing out his power projection. It'll probably full, fall a little short of Corey Seager power, but that's that's the kind of profile we're talking about with Jackson Holiday. Jackson Chorio, like I said, Julio Rodriguez-like. Uh, you mentioned the strikeout rate. I was encouraged last year that it improved by so much because in the lower minors, and Jackson Chorio, he was always get, already getting plenty of prospect type, uh, even before... You know, people as an 18-year-old, people were wowed by how hard he hit the ball and his athleticism and all of that. He was he was still like a top five prospect everywhere, but he struck out 26.9 percent of the time in the lower minors mm-hmm. in 2022, and then last year, moving to the upper minors for the first time, facing much tougher tougher pitching, Jackson Chorio dropped that rate to 17.8 percent. 26.9 to 17.8, huge improvement in one year from again a very young player with great. Tools, and I'll also point out that his numbers were dragged down in the first half because he was playing in the Southern League, where they were mm-hmm. working with that tacky baseball, and and pitchers were able to spin it so much better and they, because of the. They changed that out at at the All Star at the halfway point, yeah, and his his numbers surged after that. So I, I didn't, I don't have the exact breakdown, but. Uh, you know, the fact he hit 283 with 22 homers and 44 steals while facing cartoonish pitching in the first half and still struck out less than 18% of the time for the year. It's very impressive what Jackson Shoria mm-hmm. did. And you can understand why the Brewers wanted to lock him up long term already.
0: Uh, yes, so with Jackson Shoria, I wanted to quickly just touch on the outfield situation and, and what they kind of have lined up for now. Rasta Resource has... Churio starting in center field with Sal Freelich in right, Garrett Mitchell in left, Christian Yelich at DH, and Joey Weimer on the bench. I think that's entirely possible. I also think there's still a chance Yelich could play left field, and mm-hmm. you know maybe someone like Garrett Mitchell doesn't get as much playing time early on, but given this extension and given the prospect pedigree, I think Churio will get a shot at the center field job on opening day. His ADP over the past month is 140 as the 30th outfielder off the board. That's after the extension has happened, so this is just kind of where it's settling in for now. And even there, I get it's like a big price tag, like top one hundred and fifty for a player who hasn't done, yeah, hasn't played a single game yet. I kind of like it. I kind of like.
1: Oh, it. I have Churio. I, I think in in roto leagues, which obviously is what we're talking about with NFBC ADP. I am twenty first in the outfield. You say he's about fortieth by ADP? Thirtieth. 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 Okay, so not not at I'm not that as far out on a limb then, but still pretty big difference there. And and part of it's just the outfield. Like there's so little upside to be found after the top 2025 20, that it's easier to take a shot on a Churio. But yeah, I still think that, that early ADP is discounting is is safeguarding against the possibility Churio proves he's not quite ready this spring.
0: Well, if you're looking for upside at the outfield position, Another name, Wyatt Langford, has a ton of it. Scott's number three overall prospect was just drafted last year, fourth overall by the Texas Rangers, turned 22 years old in November, and it sure looks like a team who just won the World Series is about to get even better because this guy crushed it. A very small sample size, 44 games in the minors, Wyatt Langford hit 360 with 10 homers, 12 steals, and 11.57 OPS, more walks than strikeouts, and he did that across four different levels. Started at rookie ball, got up to five games in AAA. Again, it's a really, really small sample size. I found this quote from uh, Bruce Bocce this offseason. Quote, this Langford kid, I've already had the chance to see him. He's special. Every step of the way, he just kept putting up those numbers. He'll come into spring training. We're going to stay open-minded. It's going to be competitive. He'll have a chance to make the club. It's all performance-based. I don't care how old they are. GM Chris Young doesn't care. If they, if we think they are ready, then they'll be on the team. Scott, sounds mm-hmm. like there's a legit chance here for one Wyatt Langford.
1: I mean, yeah, he's he's older, a couple years older than the first two guys we talked about, and in a span of a couple months, he just shredded the entire minor leagues, uh, reaching AAA by the end. It's it's one of those situations where it all happens so fast that it's hard for me to kind of take stock of Wyatt Langford and what exactly he is. Okay, so I mean, basically. The scouting reports say he's good at everything offensively. Defense is, you know, nothing that special, but should hit for average, should hit for power, really good plate discipline. And certainly it showed up in the minors. Nobody could slow him down. It feels a little too good to be true, but, you know, I I think about another player who just sped through the minors, played only 122 games there, so a little bit more than Langford, but not even like a full major league season worth of games, Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. He, was, he just killed it at every level with terrific plate discipline like Wyatt Langford
2: has, and obviously the rest is history. I mean, y- you just look at Langford at college first, and then you look at what he did as a professional. Keep in mind, what he did last season is impressive enough, getting to AAA th- two months after he got drafted or whatever. He has never played a season this long before. This was the first time he's ever played 100 games in his life. That's also another impressive thing is that he did that while he put up an 1157 OPS after a full college season when a lot of guys don't even play full, full, uh, full season ball after getting drafted. I will
1: say uh, on the, 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 the topic of him making the opening day roster, the Rangers haven't left as wide of an opening for Mm -hmm. Wyatt Langford as the Brewers have for Jackson Churio and the Orioles for Jackson Holiday. They have a full outfield, as it is. Uh, Their DH spot roster resource shows Ezekiel Duran there currently. I mean, he doesn't need to start. So maybe they use that to rotate all of their outfielders through. Wyatt Langford makes opening day roster. I still think he will, and that's probably the direction they go. But if they wanted to slow play it, they could. It's just, I mean, the higher end the prospect, the more likely he's going to place high in rookie of the year voting. And, and so if, if you if you think he's going to be up in the first half at all, the incentives now are really to have him there from the beginning so that he has a chance of of scoring you all those extra goodies.
0: And the Rangers could give themselves two shots at those awards and those incentives by having both Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford on their opening day roster. So I think it's a real chance. Again, DH is pretty much open there. Uh, We'll have to see what Wyatt Langford does this spring. His ADP over the past month over at the NFBC, 161.7, 38th outfielder off the board. Chris, what do you think about that price tag just inside the top 40 outfielders?
2: can't really argue against it given the profile given the fact that there's plenty of speed in his profile you know you read the scouting reports and it's some it's one where he's a big dude you know he's he's buff he's built 225 pounds what he's listed at at 6-1 but runs well 21 steals between college and the pros including 12 and in 44 games uh, as a professional I think that price is pretty reasonable and I'm Obviously I'm not as well versed on the prospects, but I don't see a ton of reason to to rank him far below Jackson Churio. You know, given that the profile feels a little safer. There's plenty of speed in the profile as well. You know, i maybe Jackson Churio's highest percentile outcome is is a little higher, but why Langford looks pretty legit to me. All
1: yeah, right. I got them right next to each other. I said I had Churio 21. I have why Langford 22, and I believe they're flipped in my points league's rankings mm-hmm. since there is that difference in plate discipline between the two of them.
0: All right, let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get to the last of the big four up at the top. Junior we will do that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ballplayers, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Before we get to Junior Caminero, just a quick reminder that FBT is a finalist for the best baseball podcast category in the Sports Podcast Awards. Thanks to all of our listeners. We actually won the award last year. Now we're looking to go back to back. To help us bring home the hardware, you can find the link in the podcast and YouTube descriptions or scan the QR code in the top right of the screen. The whole process should take you less than a minute and we would really appreciate it. Thank you for your continued support. And speaking of support, Make sure to sign up for the FBT newsletter. It is free. Chris, what are the details on the FBT newsletter? I know you do a great job with
2: it. Uh, well, I'm not doing a great job with it yet. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. The first edition <laughs> of the new CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter will go out probably Tuesday. Tuesday is when our rankings are going live. Sleepers break on some bus. Big kind of introduce introducing myself to the audience. Make sure you go to cbsports.com slash newsletters to check it out. But yeah, the, the goal is to have that be everything you need to win. We're going to have all the content that the three of us create throughout the season. We're going to break down news analysis. It's going to all be from my unique perspective. Whether that's a selling point to you or not is up to you to determine. But <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty good. That's going to be my primary focus this coming season. I think it's going to be a pretty good product. If you you subscribe to the FFT newsletter, you should know what to expect. It's going to be a lot of information in your inbox five days a week. It's going to be awesome.
0: And it's free. So why not? You don't have to do anything. It literally goes straight to your email inbox. So again... Uh, CBSSports.com/newsletters. You punch in your email, and boom, you sign up for free. Let's talk about Junior Caminero, who is Scott's number four overall prospect. He is a third base prospect with Tampa Bay. Has played a little bit at shortstop as well. He went bonkers in the minors last year, hit 324 with 31 homers and a 975 OPS across High A and Double A. He actually got promoted to Tampa Bay for the final. Uh, you know. Towards the end of the season, he got seven games in. He only hit 235 with one homer. Uh, but, man, this is a fun prospect. Not sure that there's any speed here really at all, but we're talking about a potential four-category contributor with big batting average and power. He's crushing the Dominican Winter League right now for whatever that's worth. Scott, the only thing that worries me, and I saw this quote in an article written by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. He wrote, it's most likely that Kaminaro, who has played just 290 pro games, 81 above Class A before his promotion, is headed back to the minors as one of the game's top prospects. That's just a beat writer writing that. I don't know if he heard that within the organization, or he's just kind of speculating on his part, but Mm -hmm. of these four names, that's the only one where I've actually read something that put a little bit more doubt on that player being up on opening day.
1: Yeah, I have the most doubt for Comunero of these four, which is interesting because he's the one who actually got called up last mm-hmm. year. And normally, as we saw with uh, uh, Corbin Carroll and um, Gunnar Henderson, they were seeing higher-end prospects get called up in September at, to sort of get their feet wet so that when opening day comes the next year, it's it's not this... Uh, daunting thing. It's it's kind of a chance without exhausting their rookie eligibility to give them some major league exposure, so that they're prepared to win an opening day job the next year. And so that would that seemed like the plan the Rays were following with Junior Cominero. But what makes me skeptical, apart from from that report, is you know I look at the roster and there doesn't seem to be an opening for Cominero. Primarily a third baseman, as you say, Isak Paredes had a good year, currently slotted there. Okay, he could slide over to first base, but you got Yandy Diaz there. Uh, so, you know, DH is open and the Rays like to mix it up. You wouldn't think they'd want a dedicated DH. And so maybe that's Junior Cominero's in. Uh, it's not really the Rays' MO to call up a a guy in his age nineteen season, as they did with Caminero next year. So the fact they took that leap with him, th- the Rays of all organizations tell me that they really believe he's ready. Uh, so I still suspect he'll make the opening day roster, but it feels less. I'm, I'm less confident in Caminero for the other three.
2: And, and this is a raise organization that I, I, I don't know if you want to say they they've left their. Guys down in the minors to overprove, but they they want they tend to want guys to prove it at Triple A first, you know, and that's something that we've dealt with when when waiting for them to call top prospects up and guys who, you know, to our eyes seem ready, still end up going, and, and we've seen it, you know, with a lot of lower end prospects, Vidal Bruhan, Jonathan Rondo, over the past couple of seasons have gotten called up for like a week. And we're like, all right, they're here to stay. And in Vidal Brujan's case, yeah. if you remember his rookie season, he got called up for 10 games and had like one hit. He played regularly, but was just awful. So they sent him back down. So that might not be the same thing, but it's just to point out that the Rays developmental process, in all ways, the Rays kind of marched to the beat of their own drum. Mm-hmm. And teams that might call up precocious 19 or 20-year-olds who dominated double-A, the Rays might be willing to let them prove it at AAA for a month or two or calling them up. And that's, that's my concern with, and I think there are at least in my less learned viewpoint, I, I think, there are, I would put him like a half tier behind the, the, the three guys ahead of him, mostly because he doesn't bring any speed to the team.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. He does hit the ball hard, Mm -hmm. like about as hard as any minor leaguer, which is especially impressive given that, like I said, he was a teenager for most of last year and he does it without striking out much either. So it's, I know these are some very lofty comps I'm throwing out of the, out there, but like he, he reminds me of like an Adrian Beltre type hitter. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously, Beltray wasn't a big speed guy either. But yeah, I mean, in, certainly in leagues, the scoring formats like rotisserie, where where speed is is essential, Caminero has to rank behind those other three just because he's not going to be a contributor of it. I do want to go back to a, a second to uh, the prospect of Caminero making the Rays because I mentioned DH is open. It became open because remember the Rays traded Luke Rayleigh to the Mariners. And at the time, I said, "Oh, this is great news for Jonathan Aranda, unless they decide to go with Curtis Mead there instead." And I didn't even bring up Caminero. I don't. Yeah, they got a lot of moving pieces. A lot of a lot of directions the Rays could go, and you know, I think I think Aranda's an incredible hitter, and he's already 26, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, like in a way, it would be a shame for Caminero to pass him over, and. I, I do kind of wonder since you know they, they haven't solved their shortstop issue, the Rays, they they did acquire Jose Caballero in that uh, in a Luke Rayleigh deal, but it's not like he's a it's not like he needs to be playing every day. I do wonder if they want to mix Camonero in its shortstop. That has been discussed. I don't think he would play the position full time, but as much as the Rays like to mix it up, there may be there may be a way to fit two or three of those guys meaning Commonero, Ronda, and Meade on the roster. We'll just we'll just have to see how it all plays out.
0: And you haven't even mentioned Richie Palacios yet, Scott. How yeah. dare you? I think he's
2: in a different category, <laughs> but they did acquire him. So he, He's played like one inning at shortstop, I think.
0: <laughs> Not at shortstop, but for DH. Jose Caballero, by the way, great defender, and Tampa Bay does value defense. According to StatCast, at least, his uh, outs above average ranked in the 94th percentile last year. And he's pretty fast too, 90th percentile sprint speed. So uh, I think there's a chance that they acquired Caballero just kind of knowing what their situation is right now and they needed a shortstop. Um, But yeah, we should learn more in spring training, hopefully. Let's quickly talk about some news and notes from the weekend. Jordan Hicks signed a four-year $44 million deal with the San Francisco Giants, and apparently they plan to use him as a starter. In eight career starts, Jordan Hicks has a 547 ERA and a 156 whip. All eight of those starts came in 2022. And in 204 career relief appearances, Hicks has a much more admirable 365 (laughs) ERA, 127 whip. So not sure how long this experiment is going to last, but that's what we're being told as of now. Jordan Hicks signed as as a starter, and the Giants rotation as of now includes Logan Webb, Kyle Harrison, Ross Stripling, Jordan Hicks, and Keaton Wynn. Chris, do you have any enthusiasm for Jordan Hicks, the starter?
2: I I don't want to say it's impossible, but there is some additional context in addition to those eight starts he made in 2022, which is that he made eight starts at the beginning of the 2022 season and then went right on the IL with right forearm uh, flexor strain. He missed about a month and a half, returned to the bullpen. I think Jordan Hicks is a super fun player. He, you know, he reminds me a lot of like Dustin may as a starter where, you know, I I don't know if the strikeout numbers will be what we want, but he's going to be so hard to hit that. He could be good. I just, this feels like it ends with a, a trip to the IL at some point. I, I, I just, he hasn't shown he can stay healthy even in a relievers workload. He throws so hard. He's such a high effort pitcher that, I think it's very unlikely he gets through a full season as a starter.
0: Over his past, over the past month, Jordan Hicks's ADP is three fifteen. I guess something from a points league, Scott. If it does work out as a starter for some crazy reason, he will be a spark. So mm-hmm. I guess something to consider there. Well,
1: like part of it with me is he's just he's inefficient. I mean, mm-hmm. Chris yeah. pointed to the effort, but like he walks a lot of guys too. Oh yeah. And I, I just I just don't see how it's supposed to work that he would go the distance we need for him to be useful in fantasy. And knowing the Giants, what does starting pitcher even mean? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they had Sean Manaya going three and a third to four and two thirds innings every time out. It's uh,
0: worth mentioning they have, a, they have a new coach now in Bob Melvin. So Gabe no, Kapler was obviously true. very, you know. That's true. Kind of his own type of manager and, you know, did things in his own way. So, But you got to
1: feel like the front office had a hand in that too, um, given the way modern organizations run, and that remains the same. I think if you're going to invest in a converted reliever late in a points league in the hope you get a great spark out of it, I, I would prefer Reynaldo Lopez with the Braves. Not that it's... I. I is not as certain he wins a rotation spot for them, but I think there's a better chance he's successful with it.
0: Yeah, and with Ronaldo Lopez currently uh, apparently competing for the fifth starter job in the Braves rotation with Bryce Elder and AJ Smith Chaver, so uh, that will be something to watch in spring training as well. And if it doesn't work out as a starter for Jordan Hicks, four years, forty-four million for potentially a really good setup man, that's not a bad deal. So I, I think either way, it. it Could work out for the Giants. We'll see. The Cubs president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, said Saturday that Michael Bush's ultimate position will be up to uh, Craig Council, but he expects Michael Bush to play first base, which, Scott, every time we've had the opportunity to ask the Welsh about Matt Mervis' offseason, we tried, but... Yeah. Hearing this, it's done. reading this, and the the ties to Reese Hoskins this offseason season too, it just it kind of feels like it might be over for Matt Mervis.
1: Look, it, it's a net win. I think Michael Bush is better than Matt Mervis, but yeah, I think I think uh, the book is closed on Matt Mervis as a fantasy asset. He's he's already old, and the Cubs show no interest in clearing a spot for him. And there aren't that many teams that could use him, even if you're thinking trade. Like he's a true first baseman. I was I was trying to think through like what team could make this investment and, and maybe turn him into something. Well, certainly the A's could, but you know, what are the odds of that happening? Um, yeah, I I do not plan on keeping him for five dollars in the Scott White Dynasty League, a twenty four team head to head points league.
0: Very interesting. Ray's president of baseball operations, Eric Neander, told reporters that Taylor Walls is, quote, unlikely to be ready for opening day following offseason hip surgery, which, again, would explain why the team went out and acquired Jose Caballero last week. I mentioned he's fast. He had 26 steals across 104 games, 90th percentile sprint speed. I think in very deep leagues, if you are desperate for speed, He's just a name to know if he gets everyday playing time again. That's Jose Caballero. White Sox GM Chris gets revealed that Garrett Crochet is preparing to be a starting pitcher in 2024. He has pitched 73 innings in his major league career, 271 ERA, a 133 whip. He's a six foot six lefty. He averages 97 miles per hour on the fastball. He's got a great slider when he's on. This is a former first overall pick back in 2020. Again, Chris, I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Is he going to be stretched out enough? Is is he going to be a traditional starter? Does he go maybe three or four innings and then they bring in like a bulk reliever? But he's a pretty interesting name. He was a very high draft pick. So it's at least on my radar as something to watch. Garrett Crochet as a potential starter.
2: I mean, an incredibly talented pitcher for sure, based on what we've seen at the major league level. It's just he's started one game since 2019. 2020 was the COVID shortened season. He started one game at the University of Tennessee. He hasn't started at all as a professional. It It seems unlikely that this is going to work out well, but yeah, keep an eye on him. If he looks good in spring training, let's let's take a look. He should be on a, a late round deep sleeper uh, radar. Some
0: huge news. The Yankees signed good old Luke Weaver to a one-year $2 million deal for some... Le- depth weaver somebody had to do it i'm happy you did it because i was not going to do it i actually texted the former host of this podcast adam Azer. i let him know hey the yankees signed luke weaver i thought you'd be happy to know that he said i know i love it yankees suck that was the end of the conversation (laughs) Uh,
1: that's what he said (laughs) you 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 queued him up had it on a t for him and he whiffed
0: yeah, I, w- I was, you know, sending it to him in like celebratory fashion. Like, hey, Luke Weaver, I know you love that guy. And I think he liked that part of it, but I guess the rest of the Yankees all season. Adam Azer is not a fan.
2: The, oh, trading for Juan Soto wasn't enough for him? <laughs>
0: Poor guy. I wasn't going to bring it up to him, but I'm sure he's aware. The deadline for arbitration-eligible players was Thursday night. Juan Soto, that's right, the name we just mentioned, Juan Succo, set the new record by getting $31 million from the Yankees for the 2024 season. Some of the bigger names who did not come to an agreement and are headed for an arbitration hearing include Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Adolis Garcia, Luis arise among others. The latest rumors, the Blue Jays are reportedly monitoring Blake Snell's market. They already have a pretty damn good pitching staff, but you can never have enough pitching, the old saying goes. The Yankees and Rangers have emerged as frontrunners for reliever Hector Neris, and he was actually pretty awesome last year. He does have closing experience. If he lands with either of those teams, the Yankees or Rangers, there is a non-zero chance that Hector Neris could work his way into The back end, saving games for either of those teams. So we shall see. Uh, And the Orioles have expressed interest in James Paxton. Let's take our final break. When we return, we've got six prospects to talk about in 20 minutes. Will we do it? Probably not, but we will try here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old
1: whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome back in. Reminder, Scott's Top 100 Prospects currently live on the site cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. And today we are talking about the top names on that list that are competing for a job uh, with their respective teams for opening day and we get to Paul Schemes, who is a starting pitcher prospect with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the number eight overall prospect and he was the first overall pick in last year's draft. 21 years old, big dude, six foot six, he features a huge fastball which averaged 98 miles per hour in college. He has a plus slider, crazy numbers at LSU. He led Division one, uh, baseball and strikeouts, K per nine, WHIP. Did make five starts towards the end of the season. Um, The Pirates' rotation as of now: Mitch Keller, Martin Perez, Marco Gonzalez, Luis Ortiz, and Bailey Falter. Yikes! If they so it's Mitch Keller. (laughs) Yeah. If they want to get Paul Skeens in the rotation, they very clearly could, Scott. It's just what is there? What is the likelihood that happens considering the Pirates are not really competing in 2024?
1: That's a yeah, question. and they're the pirates. And I'm 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 less hopeful it happens in this case, but there is there is some some smoke there that makes me think it could happen. Also the fact he's a pitcher and you know um having him on the roster for the beginning. Uh, what do you do when the innings start to pile up? It's it's a little more complicated with pitchers. But Paul Skeens is as pitching prospects go, he he seems to be very safe. He's already proven himself in the um you know in the college ranks he was the most impressive pitcher in the college ranks last year throws a fastball very hard has a great slider there is some hand-wringing in analyst circles about the shape
2: of Paul Skeens <laughs> fastball it uh, seems it it seems so missing the force for the trees it does for me. Like, I get when you're dealing with this level of prospect, you're always like, you know, micro slicing for for flaws. But yeah,
1: and, and, I think fact, and I think the fact he was the first overall pick, and instead of Wyatt Langford and uh, a guy we're not going to talk Dylan about, Dylan Cruz, Dylan Cruz. Yeah, the national. Yeah, the
2: SEC was was pretty bonkers last year.
1: Like those. I, I think those outfielders were so impressive as draft picks that the fact the Pirates won Paul Skeens instead, then it makes, it kind of begs for more questioning. But yeah, I mean, okay, so vertical approach angle, rising fastball. That's very much in right now, and Paul Skeens doesn't have that. But yes, he throws 100, and the slider's so good that his fastball doesn't need to be a huge bat misser anyway, and he's capable of taking on big workload, and he'll probably be good, if not great and whether it's on opening day or not it'll probably get begin at some point in 2024
0: again this was a huge prospect coming out of college not just you know size wise but we're talking about you know comparisons to the best pitching prospects since Steven Strasburg right so mm-hmm. keep that in mind again i probably shouldn't overthink it from like a dynasty perspective my guess is he will be up at some point in 2024 on opening day. There are some questions. Let's move on to Jordan Lawler. Chris, you'll get the first word here. Scott's number 12 overall prospect with the Arizona Diamondbacks. First round pick back in 2021, drafted sixth overall. This season in the minors hit 278, I guess last season, 278 with 20 homers, 36 steals in 874 OPS. He did get 14 games in with the D-backs towards the end of the season where he hit 129 with a 32% strikeout rate. D-backs made it all the way to the World Series. Seemingly did not use Jordan Lawler at all throughout that run. In the Mm -hmm. postseason, in the World Series, there are issues with strikeouts. And even more than that, Chris, there might be a logjam here too because the D-backs have Geraldo Perdomo penciled in at shortstop. They signed Eugenio Suarez, or traded for, uh, to play third base. They have Lourdes Gurriel as their DH right now too. So there's a chance for opening day, but... I think Jordan Lawler probably will have to have a really, really big spring training for that to happen.
2: Yeah, it's hard to see exactly where he fits right now, although Eugenio Suarez and Geraldo Perdomo both feel like the kind of guys who could have a really bad April and just become completely irrelevant. So if it's not opening day, it shouldn't be too much longer for Jordan Lawler. I, I think there's obviously he's the 12th prospect and the rest of those guys were top five. I think there's a, a clear step down here. And I think the the biggest carrying tool from a fantasy perspective, at least, appears to be speed. You know, 33 steals in 89 games last season at double A, 24 and 44 at, at A last or the year before. So it seems like it's more of a good hitter with very, very good speed rather than, you know, someone who's right away an impact bat. He's still very young, he was very young at every level last season being 20 at double A and triple A. So definitely don't want to write off the potential for more improvement, but it doesn't seem like the, the hit tool is as progressed in a way that that makes him likely to be a difference maker for fantasy right away.
1: It reminds me a lot of Anthony Volpe to Mm -hmm. be perfectly honest, which I, I guess is more of a cautionary tale. If, if Jordan Lawler does start gaining traction this spring uh, you know, obviously not encouraging that he went four for 31 in his first stint in the big leagues, though he wasn't given the most consistent playing time on the eventual NL champion Diamondbacks. He could easily make the roster, uh, but it's he just doesn't impact the ball the way most high end prospects do. And I think, as Chris said, the speed might be enough to make up for that, uh, but it. It could be a struggle to get the hitting up to the level we want, or it could not. I mean, he could be Marcus Simeon. It's you know hard hard to say. I just think there are more downside concerns with Jordan Lawler than the prospects we've talked about so far.
0: The ADP over the past month for Jordan Lawler is 297.9 as the 27th shortstop off the board. He's going about 30 picks after Zach Neto and JP Crawford. What do you guys think about that price tag for Jordan Lawler?
1: That's about where I have him. I, I I might prefer him to Neto. I mean, obviously, you'd have to win a job for that to be the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I would definitely take Crawford over both of them.
0: All right, let's move on to Kyle Manzardo. A little bit further down the top 100 list, Scott's number 26 overall prospect, a first baseman in the Guardians organization, 23 years old, Came over from Tampa Bay in the Aaron Savali trade last year and did have a down year after a breakout 2022 where Manzardo hit 236, 17 homers, and 801 OPS. Turns out he was dealing with some injuries. He had some personal stuff going on off the field, which obviously he's human, could have affected the numbers. Did bounce back in the Arizona Fall League for whatever that's worth. 272 batting average there, six homers, OPS over 900. Uh, I saw him when I was out there for... First pitch, Arizona. I saw him crush a home run uh, to right field in the AFL Fall Stars game. So we know the power is legit, makes good contact. Batting average should be there as well. And, Scott, if we're looking just at the the Guardian situation right now, they have Josh Naylor, who probably profiles better as like a DH anyway. Then there's not really much else. So the opportunity looks like it should be there for Kyle Manzardo.
1: Yeah, I feel pretty good about this one, about Monzardo's chances of making the opening day roster. It seemed like that was being talked up the moment the Guardians acquired him from the raise for Aaron Savali last year. And, you know, you might get some people sleeping on him just because the, the minor league production was underwhelming last year. But the exit velocity readings were great. The plate discipline was great, whether you're talking about just barely walks to strikeouts or, you know, zone contact rate was over 85% uh under everything under the hood looked good for monzardo which you know you, you might still be skeptical of it even knowing that except for the fact that he was as good as he was in 2022 uh 327 batting average in a 1043 OPS in, in a year large much of the time was spent at double a so, at this point, last year, Manzardo seemed like a perfect hitting prospect and then had his struggles this past year. But I, I, still, think, I still think there's a lot to like here, and I still think, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to mostly tune out what he did in the minors last year and treat him as kind of a Vinny Pasquantino type going forward.
0: The ADP for Kyle Manzardo over the past month, 330.7. The 30th first baseman off the board going... Just after Ty France. So, seems pretty late. I think there's probably a little bit more upside than someone uh, like Ty France. My guess is that will probably creep up as we get closer to spring training as well. Let's move down to Heston Kirstad, who is Scott's number 33 overall prospect, who is a first-base corner outfielder, DH type for the Baltimore Orioles, former first-round pick back in 2020, went second overall in that draft, Dealt with a bunch of issues from myocarditis to a nasty hamstring injury, which knocked him out for nearly an entire season. But he just played his first full minor league season, and he was awesome. Heston Kierstad hit 303, 21 homers, a 904 OPS. Does have a big leg kick, but also comes with big power. Uh, got 13 games in with the Orioles. Towards the end of the season, hit two homers. Flashed some of that exit velocity, 92.3 miles per hour. But Chris, you know... Not to the same extent as like Jackson Holiday, because it seems like there's like a pretty clear opening for him. It's a little bit tougher here uh, for Hessen Kirstad and a bunch of the other names, right? Like there's Kobe Mayo on that team, and there's Connor Norby. There's just kind of a logjam. They have Ryan Mountcastle, Ryan O'Hearn, uh, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander taking up like first base, DH, and corner outfield spots. So I just don't see a. Sp- spot right now for Hessen and Kirstad. What do you think?
2: Yeah. And Kirstad's the kind of player where you look at the profile and then he was weirdly controversial when he got called up last year. There was a lot of debating in, in fantasy baseball circles about what to make of his prospect profile, given his age, given his lack of experience. I think a lot of those discussions were frankly a little unfair for a guy who missed so much time, not because of injuries, but mostly because of non-baseball related health scares um but the profile it, it's it makes me think you know that there, there's big power there there's some swing and miss potential there the the there's not much speed and so you look at it and you, you take it all together and it's it's the kind of profile where this is not the guy i think you're drafting before he has a job locked up you know especially if you play in in what most leagues are which is what, 276 players drafted, or, or maybe 350 if you go through the bench spots in the 12-team Roto League. Like, Probably not someone I think you need to draft and stash there, but if we get to early March and he's playing with the first team and he's heating up and it looks like he's got a spot, then we start to have those discussions. But I think in most 12-team leagues, Heston Kirstadt is not necessarily someone you need to be drafting to stash right now. I, I do want to point out
1: with Heston Kirstad, who at times I'm tempted to call Keston Hirstad, but no, it's <laughs> Heston Kirstad.
0: I always think of Keston Hero when I see his name.
1: Right, right. That's probably why I do it too. <laughs> I not put that together yet, but that's probably why. Um, so yeah, he does have this reputation as a power first bat who might swing and miss a lot. His own contact rate last year was 88%. It was elite. Like when he swung at a ball, when he swung at an actual strike, he did not miss at a rate you rarely see among minor league hitters. And so I don't know, that might be that might be overstated his his uh swing and miss potential. But I I do have just concerns how he's going to find his way into the Orioles lineup because he is not a great defender, pretty much just left field, first base, maybe right field. Uh and they're kind of full in all of those spots. I mean, Ryan O'Hearn is currently occupying first base. Maybe he's nothing, but he did have a good year. He probably deserves a chance to do it again. So I'm I'm not super confident that Heston Kierstadt is going to make the roster. And that's why he's, that's part of the reason why he's only 33rd in my top 100.
0: All right, Scott, let's bring it home here. The final two names on the list, I'm going to pair them up together. We've got Pete Crow Armstrong, an outfielder with the Cubs your number 41 overall prospect. And Tyler Black, who is a, I would call a utility player for the Brewers. He can play anywhere, and that's not a knock on him. I think it's actually better for his value because there are multiple avenues for him to get into the lineup. He is your number 42 overall prospect. Pete Armstrong does come with some power, really good speed. There are some questions there on the hit. Superb defense. So mm-hmm. once he's there and he's in center field, I don't know that they're going to take him out of the lineup because that defense is going to be so valuable for the Cubs. It's just how much of an offensive impact is he going to make. And then uh, Tyler Black, this breakout prospect from last season, a little bit older at 23 years old, but he hit 284, 18 homers, 55 steals, and he is on a Brewers team that looks like they could use him, right? They have Jake Bowers penciled in at first base, Andrew Monasterio at third, Bryce Terang at second, you know, he's a young player. They'll probably give him a shot. But first and third both seem like possibilities for Tyler Black. So uh, what do you have mm-hmm. here on Pete Crow Armstrong and Tyler Black?
1: Well, I rank Pete Crow Armstrong 41. I rank Tyler Black 42. I am much So
2: clearly more- you love Peter, Pete Crow Armstrong way more.
1: I'm more excited about Tyler Black than I am about Pete Crow Armstrong. I'm trying to make a statement by ranking Crow Armstrong only 41st. This is about as low as you'll see him on any list. And I think he's—I think his uh, fantasy stock has been inflated for a couple reasons. One, he shows up so high on real-life lists because mm-hmm. he is a defense standout in center field, and that's that's hard to find. Two, he had a great year in the minors last year. He had 283 with 20 homers, 37 steals. Who wouldn't love that from Pete Crow Armstrong, but you dig a little deeper, the exit velocities are terrible. The zone contact rate is terrible. There's a lot of terrible there in his hitting profile, and I'm not confident he's going to be even a decent major league hitter. He'll probably start because the defense is so good, but I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that Pete Crow Armstrong is going to be what we need him to be with the bat, so I'm, I'm trying to fade him a little bit Uh, it's hard for me to justify lowering him beyond 41, but that's, that's my take removing it. You know, just that's my take in a vacuum on Pete Crow Armstrong, who I will point out is the real life son from the mom in the movie, little big league. So that's, that's really (laughs) cool. Nobody can take that away from Pete Crow Armstrong. Yeah. Tyler black, man, he walked 88 times. He stole 55 bases. Like, how can you not get excited about that? And it's not like he was a zero for power. His power is not. It's probably not going to be a big part of his his uh, major league output. But 18 homers and 40 450 at bats. He's going to be playing in a great hitter's park in Milwaukee, and uh, seems like, you know, a, a lot of people are kind of penciling him in there at third base for the the Brewers to open the year. Uh, if that happens. You know, I, I I struggle with what kind of comp would work here for Tyler Black. It's a weird profile. I kind of want to say Alex Bregman, but Alex Bregman doesn't run like this. And am I overestimating the power? Well, it's not like Alex Bregman's power is amazing. He's, you know, 20, 25 homer guy. Could Tyler Black be that? Sure, he could be that. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like too lofty of a comparison. Alex Bregman, but with a ton of steals. I don't know. I think, I think Tyler Black could be that.
0: What about Whit Merrifield with walks? Does that work? Whit Merrifield's better power seasons,
1: yeah. yeah. You know, Whit Merrifield approached 20 homers a couple times, right?
0: Yeah, I, 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 I was thinking that. someone that can, you know, like 15 homers, 30 steals, if everything works out, right? Again, these are lofty projections, but 15 homers, 30 steals with a solid batting average and good OBP? Sure, that's, that's yeah, kind of what, what I'm thinking. thinking.
2: The you know, one thing I might quibble on when you look into the profile is just a lot of infield fly balls. And it, it seems like there's not very much raw power here. So that there's right. good contact profile, great plate discipline. You know, you read the scouting reports. That all shows up, but it, it might be a case where in order to maximize the in-game power, and it might be worth the trade-off, he's got to, you know... Swing from the hips and and get under the ball in a way that might make it more difficult for him to be more than like a two sixty five hitter at the major league level. But if he could hit two sixty five and he could hit fifteen homers, and, and neither of those is I think a ceiling outcome for him. Although, right, you know, I, I think twenty five is probably asking an awful lot from this profile. But like fifteen ish, if he can do that and steal thirty wow. bases. That that gets to be a, a pretty intriguing skill set. You know what Alex Bregman's batting average is over the last four years? It's like 260-ish, yeah. Yeah,
1: 261. Yeah, I, re- so I really don't think it's a crazy comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean honestly. You're comparing him to Alex Bregman who hit 41 home runs, then yeah, but Bregman hasn't been that in a long
2: time. It Anthony Volpe might not be a bad comp with more that, speed, maybe less power, but more speed.
1: Yeah, may that might be like the uh higher probability outcome
2: you're hoping for more than a 209 average
0: yeah again that's tyler black that we're talking about he has played first base second base third base center field in the minor leagues if we're just talking about eligibility has third base um on on cbs obviously he can gain more people seem to be excited if you look at the adp over the past month 345 for tyler black he's going just ahead of names like brett Beatty and colt keith so that's not nothing I think people are pretty excited about him. And one other, I guess, feather in the cap for the power of Tyler Black is that Milwaukee, mm-hmm. now American Family Field, Miller Park was cooler. Um, they rank eighth over the past three years in home run park factors. So it's a pretty good ballpark for power as mm-hmm. well. I see people in the, in the comments, in the chat, asking about you know other prospects. Mason Wynn, Thomas Sejici, Colt Keith. All of those prospects are also on Scott's Top 100 Prospects list. So again, I highly recommend checking it out and reading what Scott has to say about those players and a potential timeline of when we might see them here in 2024. We are going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again on Wednesday. Bye-bye.